This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you aren't already, make sure you subscribe to us. Just search 1037 The Game on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Leave a subscription and go ahead and leave that five-star review while you're at it. If you're in the Tokyo Dome, give us a six-star review. Let's waste a little time and get right down to business and get to the three count. And we start off with probably one of the biggest stories over the last couple of weeks. That is NXT potentially moving to Tuesday nights. The Mat Men Wrestling Podcast were the first one to do this. They're part of the Wrestling Observer Radio Network. They were the first to report this last week. Nothing official but feels inevitable. NXT set to move to Tuesday nights beginning April 13th, according to the report, which would be the first NXT show after WrestleMania weekend. The report noted that an official announcement should be made fairly soon by the WWE. And Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Note on Twitter that NXT moving to Tuesday night was definitely a topic of discussion in the WWE back on February 24th, which was last Wednesday. But at least at that point, the change was not final. He also expected this could happen when the NBC Sports Network shut down, which is something we talked about a while back because NHL content was moving to Wednesday nights. We talked about that a few weeks ago on the podcast, and it felt like it was an inevitable move in that direction. And that's where they were at. We saw... NXT has always has definitely floundered. And here's the thing. It's not a bad thing that NXT is moving over to Tuesday nights. Yes, the Wednesday night war is at least somewhat over. But you have the Tuesday night wars now. They've still got so many other things that are out there in the sport of professional wrestling. And there's even more being added to it. I mean, we'll have this time next week when we're doing the podcast, we're going to have AEW Elevation. We have that stuff going on. So tell me that you aren't ready to be talking about what's going on with NXT on Tuesday nights. I mean, almost every day of the week has some form or fashion of wrestling that you can enjoy. You'll have Monday Night Raw, which, mind you, has been a bit of a mixed bag. In fact, I just saw some stuff with Bobby Lashley not long ago on Monday Night Raw because we're taping this right as Raw is kind of getting underway. We'll talk too much about that because, well, I've got a DVR of the house. I'll wind up watching a little bit later. But when it comes down to it, this is the right move for NXT. It's not waving the white flag. It's saying, hey, let's try and maximize our potential. Because you're able to get a million and a half people tuning into Monday Night Raw. Imagine how many people you you will be able to get to tune in on a Tuesday night when NXT takes over that spot. Then Wednesday, you've got AEW. And AEW's going to be excited about that because they could probably wind up cracking well over a million. Because here's the thing. you know, I feel like for the most part, Wrestling fans love watching wrestling, no matter who it is. I think there are people out there that are saying, oh, wait, you know, either you support AEW or go to hell or vice versa. But I feel like for the most part, wrestling fans want to watch wrestling and want to watch good wrestling. Maybe not everybody's cup of tea is NXT. I love some NXT. I just don't necessarily watch as much because, spoilers, it's on Wednesday night. And for the most part, my focus goes towards AEW. That being said, this Wednesday, I'm probably going to be much more interested to see how things go over on the black and yellow brand of the WWE just because they've built a really good card for Wednesday night. 
I'll probably wind up having secondary be Dynamite, but probably still watch that on DVR like right after NXT wraps up. That being said, I'm interested to see how this whole thing goes, to see how much things change in the landscape just in terms of the ratings war that we always talk about. One other bit of sad news happened on Wednesday night with Jim Crockett Jr. passing away at the age of 76. Crockett's death was first announced Wednesday by Robert Gibson over on Facebook saying, quote, rest in peace, Jim Crockett Jr. You'll be missed by so many. And Crockett Jr. took over JCP from his father, Jim Crockett Sr., when he passed away in 73, and he served three terms as the NWA's president from 1980 to 1991, and eventually referring to JCP as the NWA. Evidently, he sold Jim Crockett promotions to Ted Turner in 1988, at which point it became WCW from that point on. And also, Crockett acquired several NWA-related territories during his time as the owner of JCP and also helped cultivate some of the biggest stars, events, and ideas in wrestling history. Rest in peace to an absolute icon in the sport of professional wrestling, especially in the South, was a big, influential part. I'd say one of the biggest stars he helped create was the nature boy, Ric Flair. And speaking of the NWA, it's coming back after almost a year away with no real updates with everything that was going on with speaking out, Dave Lagana having to step down, so the content was not flowing. The, the spigot had been shut off for, I'd say, probably about eight, nine months. And now it's all coming back. And it all starts on March 21st with Back for the Attack on Fight TV, beginning a partnership between the two. It'll be following that. The NWA will resume a full schedule of NWA Power Events on Tuesday, 6.05, beginning on March 23rd. But instead of on YouTube, now it's going to be available via a low-cost subscription bundle on Fight TV. So they're moving everything over. They're migrating all that content over to Fight TV. Their YouTube channel not too long ago deleted all the old episodes of Power, so that'll more likely than not be migrating over there. And here's some stuff from the press release with World's Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis saying, quote, I'm incredibly proud of this new deal with the NWA and Fight from the beginning of the Lightning One era of the NWA. Fight have been great pay-per-view partners for the National Wrestling Alliance with the incredible growth that they have experienced over the last couple of years. It's very exciting to enter a streaming agreement with Fight for our flagship show, NWA Power. Streaming is the future, and we're proud to be a leader in the field for sports entertainment, end quote. And Billy Corgan, who still is running the National Wrestling Alliance, saying, quote, for so many, this last year has been so challenging on just about every level imaginable. And what's been difficult is that we haven't been able to help as we'd like by entertaining and putting on the best show possible for our great NWA fans. And so we can't thank Fight enough for becoming our exclusive broadcast partner going forward and affording us this great opportunity to bring back power as a regularly scheduled pay-per-view. And that was definitely really cool to see the NWA going to announce its return to the pro wrestling ring. And that's be coming up in a couple weeks from right now. In fact, that's going to be on, once again, March 21st. It'll be in two weeks from right about now, which is really darn cool. So about two weeks away on a Sunday. And it's wild to think over the next couple weeks, we've got several big events. WWE Fastlane, the final show that's going to be on the network. And we'll talk about the WWE Network in a little bit. Because there were some interesting things that came out today that I'll talk about in just a few. But we got to get down to brass tacks and talk about 
AEW, but we'll get to Revolution in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and go step-by-step step before we get to the main show, before we get to the main card here, if you will. And we start things off, Shaq and Jade Cargill versus Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet on the Go Home Show, which was called AEW Dynamite Crossroads. And I kind of have thought this is going to be a lot like, you know, your boy, I'm absolutely just laughing my head off at all this, is that I immediately was thinking Bone Thugs and Harmony when I saw AEW Dynamite Crossroads, because that's exactly how I felt when I saw that. So, I got to say, the opener was perfect. The fact this actually was the start of the show and apparently hit over a million viewers, massive news for AEW. And in fact, this is a big reason why they were dominating in every single demo. Having Shaquille O'Neal was great. And, you know, everybody wants to kind of poo-poo on the celebrity wrestling type stuff. And you you see celebrities in there. Shaq looked like he belonged in there. He looked like he fit in this kind of conversation. Actually, really had a solid match. Didn't take too many bumps. But a pop for, you know, Shaquille O'Neal going for the power bomb spot. It was really solid, too, for someone with no experience. And then he had the Brody Lee homage. I popped for that probably one of the many times that I popped for stuff like that. Very well done. And also, I can't believe someone approved Shaq taking that bump through the table because that just looked absolutely brutal. And I was saying this to somebody, and I was like, if that barricade was moved up probably about four, five, like about six inches, I guarantee you somebody was going to get hurt very, very badly, and that would have that would have not been good. I'll just go ahead and say that much. But definitely great, and hopefully we get to see more Shaq stuff down the road. Just give us Shaq and Big Show, damn it. That's all I care about. Next segment was the Jericho and MGF press conference featuring Conrad Thompson, and that made me realize how great Jericho and MGF are as a comedy duo it's it had me rolling for a good bit especially mgf saying oh my god turkey tits and then you have jericho saying to go back to nebraska he lives in alabama but that entire bit absolutely had me on the floor rolling just great stuff right there from jericho and mjf loved 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 the hype package for the exploding barbed wire death match onita making a cameo apparently they were going to bring him over but obviously covid19 isn't allowing that that sucked, but still, having Onita make a little cameo in a video package hyping up this death match was really cool, and we'll talk about Onita a little bit more later on. Then you have the six-man tag, Jurassic Express, FTR, and Tully squaring off. Tons of dirty tactics throughout, and this was a really fun one. I, I enjoyed Tully. Like Tully faking the dive was probably my favorite part of the entire night. Just, I could not stop laughing at that. Sean Spears shows up, returns to AEW. Kind of, sort of, starting to form the four horsemen. Sean Spears now with blonde hair. Who else has blonde hair? Cody and Arn Anderson came out. So, who's to say that we don't see a new four horsemen with Sean Spears and Cody Rhodes involved? I think that's kind of where this is going. At least, that's the way I think about it. But it is building a lot of intrigue for what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future. Meanwhile, Nyla Rose and Rio Mizunami in the Women's Eliminator Tournament Final absolutely slapped. So glad we didn't get Nyla Rose Hikaru Shida again. 
And just those two absolutely put together a really solid women's match with a lot of high stakes. And that's something I feel like AEW has underwhelmed on at some points. And I'm so, I, I was surprised to see like Rio Mizunami and Nyla Rose in the finals. I would have thought maybe we would have had Britt Baker involved in the finals. Lo and behold, I think she'll wind up getting a title shot before long. I think probably by double or nothing, she is the AEW Women's Champion. It's not a knock against Hikaru Shida, but I feel like her reign has been kind of just, it, it's been starting to stop, and you don't get to see any real like development in character or what have you from her. I think there's a chance where they can really turn things around with her, but it's a bit of an uphill climb. Then they had a great post-match, post-match exchange with Shida and Mizunami that ruled. Shida got a really, like, a little bit snug with that first forearm. Absolutely looked rough for her. Then we get to a Sting segment, and I'm getting tired of him. I'm sorry. I love Sting. I love the fact that they are using him in this way. But, damn it, I am tired of the interviews. After Revolution, we don't need any more interviews with him because it's well past that time. Max Caster came out next for his match against Preston Vance, which was decent enough. Jack Evans ran as the hired gun, hitting 10 with the JVC Kaboom box. And at first, they didn't get why, but then they find out that Matt had paid off Evans to destroy Hangman's friends in the Dark Order. But Caster had another great freestyle rap, and he's so good. And also, minus one, I could give him a bunch of credit. Reacting to the diss towards him was absolutely fantastic. And I loved how they had a really solid main event. That honestly, I think could have been swapped with the women's final, but it is what it is. With Hangman and John Silver beating Matt Hardy and crew, that was fun. And then the end of the show just absolutely goes like zero to a hundred real quick. With the Dark Order attacking Matt Hardy after Matt Hardy is attacking Hangman Page, the rest of the tag teams in the Battle Royal roll in. Minus one is just standing on the ramp with his hands on his head like, oh, my God, what is going on? And he's freaking the hell out, watching all this anarchy break out. And, again, I love chaotic endings like that, this hyping up a rumble. It feels like that was expected. But, God, I was entertained by this week's Dynamite. It was not like a phenomenal go-home show, but if you just look at how they managed to book a lot of stuff outside of your main event match, it was really solid. I absolutely enjoyed what I saw from AEW Dynamite, the go-home show. Now, Revolution is a different conversation. We start off with a buy-in match. Britt Baker, DMD, and a mystery partner because they pulled Reba from the match. She was medically ineligible, according to Britt Baker. She actually wrote up the report on her letterhead. And her new tag team partner, absolutely shocked here. Maki Ito going to be teaming up with Britt Baker Taking on Thunder Rosa and Rio. Absolutely love the fact that we get a little mixture of Joshi and Americans women wrestling in just all one match. And it was really well done. My favorite part probably is Maki Ito and Thunder Rosa. When they were in the ring together, they absolutely killed it. I mean, they've done matches before in the past. So you did the chemistry was there. But damn, if that was an entertaining match from start to finish with those two. Ito crying after multiple forearm strikes. I pop for that. Really get great false finishes here. It was a really great counter that they had at one point where you have a running knee, places by by Ito, and it's countered into a single leg crab, just smooth as silk. Then came the finish, and this felt predictable, but I still liked it. 
is the fact you have Rosa hit the Death Valley driver. Ito breaks out the pinfall. And next thing you know, Rosa's going for her finisher. But Brick gets out of it, hits a super kick on Rosa, and throws her into the ropes. Reba hits Rosa with the crutch while the ref's back is turned. But the ref looks like a complete idiot, first of all. And Brick gives the win. And honestly, really fun match. Really good, solid opener. Good, solid pre-show match. It was for free. Thought it was good. Predictable finish is what it is. Then we get to Young Bucks and Young Bucks taking on Chris Jericho and MGF for the AEW Tag Team titles to open up the card. Well-deserved to see this be the opener because this was a damn good match. I'd probably give it four stars. But right out of the gate, two things. JR sounds like he's about to die at this point. Give him some water, Ricola, something. Because the guy sounds like he is doing a call the night after WrestleMania the way he's like, Right, we're going there. Yeah. <clears throat> you can just tell he is not sounding all that well, but somehow, some way, a bunch of hot tea wound up helping him out to be able to finish the race. The one thing that I was kind of like thinking about as well was the second you got MGF coming out, I cannot stand his theme song. It is probably the worst mashup theme of all time. That's saying some considering we had, oh, yeah, that's the big, 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 big shoe. Like, that was a bad mashup. Chris Jericho and Jeff may be just as bad because it just does not sync up one solitary bit. Young Bucks come out extremely hot, brought the heat early on. Like, about the opening five or six minutes, it was just Jericho and Jeff get the crap beat out of them. Next thing you know, they had some really good hot tag sequences, too. Probably about three or four of them with the Young Bucks throughout MGF was solid being a heel. One of the big things was they kept teasing the Meltzer driver getting hit. They kept teasing it. We kept not getting it until the third time around. They finally hit it, but it's broken up at two. So the match continues. And then the Bucks retain, thanks in large part to everybody's favorite move, the BTE trigger. Oh, they, they had the BTE trigger as well. That got broken up. They, in fact, had tons of false finishes here. It was nuts. Even if they had the BT trigger. That got broken up. MGF hit the Heat Seeker 2.9. Big surprise there because it feels like that, that move's been very much protected. Jericho accidentally knocks out Wardlow with the Judas Effect, and that was awesome. Like, again, the Judas Effect is a badass move, and we saw Wardlow sell like he got shot. And then the Young Bucks finally get the win with the Meltzer Driver. I wound up thinking it was a different way around, but yeah. That's how this match went. Absolutely phenomenal opener. Love this match. I'd probably say a four-star rating in my book. That's as high as I think I'm willing to go. There's a couple spots where it's kind of botchy, botchy, but overall, got to give credit where credit's due, and that is to see what this AW company can do with tag team wrestling. They have absolutely crushed it in that aspect. And speaking of tag teams, we got to go over to the Casino Tag Team Royale, which was interesting. Because I thought maybe it would just been each and every tag team's in there and it's a giant schmaz and Royal Rumble. Nope. It's not a battle royale. It's more of a Royal Rumble-type rules with Natural Nightmares out first and it's Dark Orders 5 and 10. They're out second. And this is a really good one as well. Solid opening 90 seconds to kind of get things going. Santana and Ortiz come out next, go right towards Dustin Rhodes a little bit later on. 
Allen Angels is thrown out like really quickly by Dustin. The Seidel's into the ring next. Things are starting to fill up. Stu Grayson and Evil Uno come out next. Mike Seidel gets tossed like not long after. Gun Club comes out. They just start beating people up. Matt Seidel gets thrown out shortly thereafter. And he and that means the Seidel's are the first team to be eliminated. Then we get to Pretty Peter Avalon, Cesar Bonini. You know, they come out next. And at this point, it just continues to get like a bigger and bigger crowd. Varsity Blondes get their stuff in next. At one point, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole angle goes, with QT Marshall throwing out both members of the gun club who are part of the Nightmare family, throws them out, has an argument with Goldust, and eliminates himself. Very well done. Then we get Bear Country. They start cleaning house, but it's all about Jurassic Express who follows that up. They're eliminating damn near everybody. Santana, Cesar, Griff Garrison, Ortiz. They also eliminated Evil Uno, who literally he slipped and almost injured himself severely. But damn, that that wasn't entertaining. They're getting booted out left and right. At one point, this match is going like 100 miles an hour once Butcher and Blade roll. I mean, it's a 30-minute match. So damn good. Bunny helps Dustin Rhodes out. Get Dustin Rhodes out of the rubble. And then Private Party shows up, or kind of one of your final entrants, SCU, comes out. Then Beth, both members of Bear Country throw out Luchasaurus, and then they get thrown out thanks to Bunny distracting them. And you got the final team being Death Triangle. They start raising hell, and then it's uh, another members of the Dark Order, including John Silver, and this was so damn good. In fact, we got a final four with the following. Pac, Phoenix, John Silver, and Jungle Boy. This may be one of my favorite Final Fours in wrestling because you have so many different characters, and they're so great all on their own. Combine them in the ring, they put together a really good banger towards the end. And Phoenix wound up getting the win for his team after eliminating Jungle Boy. So not the Lucha Bros, but you've got Chris Jericho. No, no it's not actually Chris Jericho and Jeff, But you got Death Triangle involved getting ready for their next title shot. Would love to have seen Dark Order get over, but, you know, can't always get what you want. Then we get to the AEW Championship matchup with Ryo Mizunami taking on Hikaru Shida. Love the package hyping the matchup, the way they sold a lot of the blood feud between these two. Absolutely perfect. Love it. And also, they had a I'm with AEW heel sign. I think we found the person that's an outright plant. Tons of chops to start off the match. The mime spot by Ryo Mizunami always makes you pop. So well done. And then at one point, Sheeta takes over the match. She winds up going for the flying knee off the chair spot like she normally does, but Rio scouted it well and took her down in the process. It's so brutal looking. And then Sheeta wound up taking it a little bit more to the outside on the ramp itself, hitting a bad-looking reverse pile driver, or as they call it, I think they call it the crunchy. Weird name for it, but okay. But I can bad imagine that hurt. Just period. Because 101 miles an hour, not exactly what you want. Especially when it's like a striker, a strikeout or something. Absolutely goes nuts. Then we get to just these two going at it. Mizunami hits the leg drop off the top rope, and Sheeta kicks out at two. A spot that helped Rio Mizunami really kind of reach her ticket or punched her ticket to this very match. 
and then you have Sheeta just continuing to fight back. Probably one of the best women's matches I've seen at AEW. Shaq's, or excuse me, Sheeta's Falcon Arrow can't get it done. And just so many two like two point nine counts. It's ridiculous. At one point, Rio shows up telling Sheeta about what the roll of Sheeta after the running knee was awesome. So well done. But Sheeta, she's able to retain beating her opponent, Rio Mizunami, with the Tamashi. Absolutely a fun match between those two. Now let's get to the one of the other matches on the card. After the match, you've got Nyla Rose running in, and then Sheeta saves Rio right before Maki Ito, Rebel, and Britt Baker continue the beat down. Thunder Rosa runs in, saves the day, sends the Eagles packing, but we'll get a match, a six-person tag, this time next week. Great post-match segment, but also creates a ton of injury for the not-too-distant future. Then we get to a match I'd probably say, if you're going to watch it again, skip it. That's Miro and Kip Sabian taking on Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. And it's not a knock against anybody in that company, but God, I just could not get into a redo of speed in 2021. Didn't need to see it, but honestly, really got some pointed thoughts on that a little bit later about the entirety of that match. But again, great stuff right there. Next, it's Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy taking on Miro and, and Chuck Taylor. And the big thing is, you know, you've got your boy over there kind of saying, like, hey, you know, we're going to wind up doing it this way. And lo and, behold, again, lo and behold, we see nothing really change. And that's disappointing. We need to see some movement towards this women's division meaning something. And also getting these matches off of pay-per-view cards and just put them on Dynamite. This was a match that belonged to Dynamite. No disrespect, but damn it, I didn't need this to be a main event. Or a main card match. Could have been on the buy-in, too. I don't care. Like, figure out a way to get this done, because it's absolutely frustrating me to see this. And Miro and Kip, Muck, Taylor, and Cassie right away. Miro throws Charles into a door with a glass window. He's cut up, and they drag his carcass out of the ring. Miro says they can make the stop, but of course, it's a total beatdown at one point. Taylor is getting the tar beat out because Orange Cassie nowhere to be found. Cassie shows up, immediately hits a huge orange punch on Miro. So well done. And at this point, it's Kip and Cassidy. Orange Cassie winds up putting him inside a beach break. But then we get Chuck Taylor going for a double stomp. Dude's taking care of business at this point. Then they combine for that. Then Chuck gets his finisher, still gets only a two count before, you know, Miro breaks it up. Then we get to Cassidy getting his kicks in. It was nuts. We get to see that match go down. And so freaking cool. The fact we got to see. Cassie goes for his classic shin kicks on Miro. He goes for his stun dog millionaire, orange punch, all that stuff. Miro at one point pushes orange into Penelope and then demolishes Cassie. 
Miro still gets the win, though, with game over on Chuck, and that continues to haunt him. That was a really solid match, I think. It felt like they were trying to make Miro out to be a geek for a moment. Mind you, he still got some work to do to stop being a geek. Because, boy, oh, boy, all the stuff going on in the last couple weeks with pro wrestling, not ideal. Far from it. Then they cut to the back with MJF and Jericho talking about failing to capture the tag team titles, and they're going to have a inner circle war council on Dynamite talking about changes need to be made, and it makes you think that you know Jericho's going to go ahead and get kicked. Kick, yeah, Jericho's going to get kicked out by MJF, who's largely taken over the group by storm and gotten rid of some of the malcontents. Next up, it's the. Big money match. Winner gets 100% of the loser's share in the first quarter. And this was a huge one. Matt Hardy, Adam Page. Page really took advantage early, tried to make it a quick matchup. But Hardy ducks out just before the Buckshot Lariat connects. Hardly focused on it. Page quickly focused on, you know, because Page injured his hand thanks to, you know, your boy, Danny Davis, because that cat was absolutely killing it, breaking down what happened there in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Next up, we had a really fun match between these two. You know, so many near spots. I mean, you had the, the referee counting in nine before you counted out for ten. Some KOs finishers, just so damn good. Really great to see this kind of become a thing in 2021. We're going to see some really solid matches but at this point, the quality drops off a little bit. Because now you've got the Face of the Revolution match, the cinematic match of the street fight, and then the exploding barbed wire death match, which was absolutely insane, and we're going to get to that in a few. MJF and Jericho are wanting to kind of do this, so I think it would be great to see Jericho get kicked out and just do some things on his own, maybe bring in the Big Show to go ahead and break down the inner circle. I don't know how exactly it's all going to go, but intriguing nonetheless. Then we get to the Face of the Revolution ladder match. It's Lance Archer, Pinta, Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky, Max Caster, who had a phenomenal freestyle rap on Anthony Cuomo that I was absolutely like dying at. So damn fun. Max Qua- Max Caster bearing Cuomo was awesome. Of course, the final entry for the ladder match was what everybody was looking forward to. But nope, it is none other than your boy. You're wondering who it is. It was just an absolute mess to see them put a question mark. Nobody was going to know who this match was because it's kind of stupid. But whatever. I'm not going to hate it. Then we get to, you know, some other stuff going on. And this is a just a train wreck of a match. So many like, amazing spots here. You know, commentators just were so great comparing everything and talking about the moves. And they just beat the tar out of the field, trying to climb the saddle. And that's Lance Archer, just a massive mountain of a man. And whenever he takes care of that business, he becomes a different person. I can't wait to see how this whole thing's going to go. Lance Archer may have been the biggest star in this because he threw down like crazy. Brody, at one point, grabs a, like, not a gun, but basically, you know, one of those styluses. He grabs that. And basically, all of a sudden, the next day, I'm hearing all these different noises. I wake up with a headache. It was just, my God. Then I found out he just turned down all the audio from Bluetooth, which, honestly, great thing, all things considered. Just really cool. 
Archer was just damn near unstoppable at certain points in this match, throwing people around. At one point, I'd say he came very close to winning because Archer just was throwing everybody out. At one point, he throws you know somebody out while the ropes are perfectly fine. And I'm just wondering, why do we have to screw this up? Because they had one job, and it was to be so damn good to see them finally fix this and give Moxley his title back. Nope. It's right back to where we started from with him. He is going to be all Elite Wrestling's favorite jabroni, I guess, if you will. But really good stuff, nonetheless. Archer hits a chokeslam party, follows up with a blackout off the ladder to Caster. Page cuts him off of the pass as he's climbing up. Then all of a sudden, you know, he gets some of his before Penta lays him out like crazy. And he finishes it off. So damn good. Loved this match. He is, well, you had so much going on. You had so much high stakes. Well worth it. Probably would like to see him maybe second. Give that women's match a little bit more room to breathe. But that's just me. Sky, Scorpio Sky winds up winning the match in just a really hard-fought victory. And now he's going to be taking on Darby this coming Wednesday on AEW Dynamite. Really solid stuff right there. Loved every second of it. Then we get to Christian Cage. He is the mystery signing. After all this time, I was thinking maybe Bully Ray, something like that. But nope, it's all about your boy. And that is, I, I'm loving it. Every second I hear this word, it is the fact that we Christian Cage using a TNA ripoff of his old theme. Absolutely pop for that. Just everything about this show, I was marking out for like probably 75% of it. Then we get to the street fight. Brian Cage, Ricky Starks taking on Darby Allen and Sting. And they literally took it to the streets. They just had an old wrestling ring inside of an undisclosed location that reminded me of the old Raw is War intro. And then they ruined it. Because after the bell rang, you're hearing every single word these two are saying. This group is saying. Get off the damn phone and realize like you got to figure out a right way to do this. And this isn't the way. You need to have some long-term ideas to book this. But man, or better yet, get over to the show and figure out what's the safest idea because again if you've got a small place don't recommend this if you've got like a warehouse you can fit an actual wrestling ring in I'd say go ahead after you heat it up for a little bit at one point it's just a full blown war throughout two different places but it's ruined because we get commentary mid match I do not need to see any of that kind of stuff just get it out of my face but this is a really good match overall. The camera angles, transitions were kick-ass. Looks like something Jerry Borash would do. Just so smooth, silky, really good. The camera angles and transitions were awesome throughout. And that was something I noticed. Like There was at least two spots on the main card where you had AW miss a spot. It was, I think, the Rio match, or the Maki Ito match, excuse me, and the New Japan Cup final. He damn near tripped over himself, and that was kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. Probably seen videos like that before, but honestly, I liked it. Hopefully you did as well. It's Cage Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Be it through the free 103.7 Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you're doing so. Make sure you leave us a subscription and maybe a five-star review while we're at it. Then we get Darby doing a coffee... The coffin drop off the scaffold. At one point, does it off of the second or third floor window. Holy crap. This match was insane. At one point, 
Darby's just get. I mean, excuse me, Sting's getting the crap beat out of him. Darby's dead to rights, left in a heap. So damn close to seeing just something go down. And of course, we wind up seeing the comeback. He broke the bat over Cage. That's how big and massive that cat is, and that's impressive. That is freaking impressive. Stinger splash. He goes for it, fails, hits the exposed turnbuckle, which really looked like he just pulled the pulled the padding off. Is what it is. But Sting and Darby Allen win the match with a Scorpion Death Drop. Damn fine match. Could have done without the commentary, but so freaking good. Loved every second of that match. Then we get to the main event with the exploding barbed wire death match. John Moxley taking on Kenny Omega. First off, Mox with a nice touch on the Onita jacket. Loved the T-shirt that Kenny was wearing promoting the barbed wire match. Looked like something off like some bootleg website or something. Not gonna hate that. That I said like right away. I don't envy Bryce Rimsburg right now because this is not where I want to be. All of a sudden, they're just in the ring. They get out of the ring. Moxley takes over the matchup. I mean, it's about what you would expect from this match right out the gate. Both members of the match just brawling, trying to get through the other, trying to put them into the barbed wire that's going to explode the second they touch it. But nothing. Moxley's the first one to go through the barbed wire, though, after they go back into the ring with Kenny going full-blown uh, Dale Gribble using the pocket sand, just throwing it straight at him. Absolutely popped for that moment right there. And we get the first explosion of the night. John Moss gets thrown out, and he sells it like death. Gets kicks out of two. And after a few kendo shots, Moxley is busted wide open. Kenny puts him in a figure four, but Mox grabs a barbed wire chair and pretty much saws his way out of it. Absolutely love that spot. So damn cool. Max go, Mox goes through the barbed wire board outside, and he no no is on the corner. Sorry, and he's that crimson mask is going crazy. Moxley takes over by sending Omega into the barbed wire not once but twice, front and back, both times. It reminded me of whenever you saw like Marv getting destroyed, getting electrocuted in Home Alone. Just so cool, absolute war between these two, and like this match rules at this point because the explosions blood it's exactly what you would expect an absolute war between these two would have loved the countdown clock though just because sometimes you you want to know you want to see it somewhere does it be on the tron just somewhere that way the viewer at home can start counting down it's like i can't wait to see what's going to happen they do a double down after they both go into the barbed wire together kenny goes face first he's seemingly blinded he rolls out on the apron, and they're exchanging pump punches with one-third of the triple hell beneath them. Moxley is the paradigm shift on the first third of triple hell. This thing explodes, but it's only like on the left side, so it's like, what the hell? And they didn't even break that part of the barbed wire. Bored. Just so damn... It was weird, but at this point, I don't care, because this match rules. It's so damn good. We get it to a 10-minute warning. Moxley knows he needs to finish this thing off soon. Tons of Onita homages. And then Omega hits the one-winged angel. Nobody's ever kicked out of it. Mox technically did not kick out of it. There's no rope breaks. But he hits the barbed wire enough to trigger the explosion, blinding Omega. Such a good spot. Perfectly well done. The Good Brothers run in. Mox takes care of business. And then, oh my God. They gave Omega a bat wrapped with barbed wire. 
It's an exploding barbed wire bat like Hodita. So freaking cool. They set up the one-winged angel once again. This time hits him with the, like, on the chairs underneath him. Absolutely gets wrecked, and they win just before the explosive goes off by like five minutes away. Good brothers start beating up Mox. After the match, the clock is still ticked with about a minute left. They're all like, oh, we need to get out of the ring. Uh... And Kingston tried to get Mox out of the ring. The pyro goes off, and it is the most underwhelming, like, fart just as you come, like, go off the air. This is what we see. We see Kingston and, you know, Moxley selling like they just got exploded, and they're both dead when they're not. Now, after the show, they were talking some mess about it, saying, you know, Moxley, uh, Omega doesn't know how to set up a ring worth a sensor for radio, as well as this podcast. We try and keep it clean in terms of the, the words that we do say. But all that hype for nothing. It sucked because this was the end of what could have been a really tremendous show and a tremendous ending for something that we were hyped up for. This is why I think maybe you should have just, like, done it in post, pre-tape this match, and then in post, put the Wrestling Society X, like, explosion filter on it, and it wound up probably working really well. Overall, red hot start for Revolution. The middle really simmered. Matt Hardy, Adam Page felt like a dynamite match. I'm sorry, just was checked out at that point. Final hour though was kick ass, and then came the payoff for the explosion, which honestly, just not a fan. Just not a fan. But what I'm not a fan of as well is the final bit of news. Didn't get to this in the three count, but I feel like bringing this up because well. The WWE Network is going to be officially moving to Peacock very soon. It's going to be March 18th, right before Fastlane. And the WWE will have a dedicated page on Peacock, according to the press release, where fans can browse and access every pay-per-view event in the last calendar year, current or most recent episodes of WWE's original series, like the Broken Skull Sessions, Chronicle, Icons, in-ring action with new weekly episodes on NXT the day after the air, as well as replays of Raw and SmackDown 30 days after the air, like they're norm- like they're doing now. Groundbreaking docs like The Last Ride, 24 Untold, reality series including Total Bellas, as well as collections of featured series, topical moments like Stone Cold, Steve Austin Week, and playlists showcasing current superstars. But here's the thing. According to this release, Peacock says... There's two things you just got to be like really frustrated about if you are moving towards Peacock. Is that they're going to continually add network content to the library, making the entire network archive available to stream on demand before SummerSlam. So basically from about late March until freaking August, it's going to be a barren wasteland in terms of content. Like the old school content. And this is just strictly the network archive talking about pay-per-views. No mention of every Raw's war. I mean, you're presuming all that's going to be there. But odds are the territory stuff might not be there anymore. So make sure you get your stuff in early because this is going to end very soon. In fact, on April 4th, the standalone WWE Network app is going to end. And here's the thing. They're not migrating a damn thing over. So... If you want to continue to stream WWE Network content, you will need to sign up for Peacock. Which is absolutely ridiculous. It felt like they were telling us for a while that this is all going to be bundled in. But no, it is not going to be bundled in. 
And now you're basically, now mind you, of course, you're getting Peacock. 90% of the people who are getting Peacock aren't getting it solely for the network. They're getting it for, like me, if I if I were to go ahead and purchase Peacock for the basic five ninety nine tier, and I might consider doing that, especially considering the fact that they are, especially NBC Sports, is starting to pivot the Premier League over towards that realm and giving us a lot of games on Peacock, especially I'm a big Manchester United fan, so I might want to getting that. I'm definitely not getting it for the Punky Brewster or the Saved by the Bell reboot. I'm getting it for stuff that I want to see and stuff that, odds are, I actually do like and want to see more of. It's a little bit frustrating, I think. The fact that Peacock is moving towards more Barrett archives, at least for the first three months or so, is who's to say, you know, which ones are going to be there first. Now, obviously, it's going to be a major overall because it's over, like, I think a hundred thousand hours. I can be hyperbole here, but there's tens of thousands of hours of content that I'm going to migrate over. That's going to take a while to move those servers around and stuff. But man, it just feels like they could have just said, Hey, let's go ahead and launch this thing with all the stuff right out the gate rather than make us wait three months. Again, most people who are, are, who have Peacock, aren't solely going to be getting it for the network. They're getting it for the other things. It's an add-on. Imagine if it was Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, you're not just getting it just because, oh, wait, you want to wind up watching, like, old shows. Mind you, they got a lot of really cool stuff, actually. I think they got, like, Ren and Stimpy and whatnot. So, yeah. In other words, I might just be downloading every single... I might, in the not-too-distant future, start budgeting out which streaming services I want. And I think Paramount Plus... Towards the top of the list, Peacock is pretty much there as well because I want to watch all the wrestling. I want to eventually do a bunch of retro reviews more often. I know I've got one in mind that I'm going to be starting to get the notes together on before too long for WrestleMania week, which I'll give I'll divulge those details before too long about what the plans are for not too distant future when we have WrestleMania week. Because trust me, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get to and probably adding on as the days and weeks come, because trust me, there's a lot of stuff going down. It all starts in just a couple weeks' time when you have NXT going to have two nights of TakeOver. That's going to be wild to see. I can't wait for it, to be quite honest with you. But that's about all we got for the Cage Strong Style Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Just search 1037 The Game on your favorite podcast gimmick and leave us a five-star review and so much more is up there, all of our live and local content, and of course, us right here. So y'all take it easy and enjoy the pro wrestling.